Welcome to the Stakeholders Podcast, the show where we try to answer the question, what's at stake? We dive into how an organization's pursuit of their objectives affect or are affected by the people. Our guests come from the private industry, government, education, and more to discuss how they manage with their stakeholders in mind to achieve long-term success. On today's episode, we're joined by Jamie Arroyo. He's a city councilor of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and the chief impact officer at Community Action Partnerships of Lancaster County. Jamie, thank you very much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I'm excited for uh, to be here and have this conversation. Yeah, a uh, couple of things. Um, my day job, I am the Chief Impact Officer at Community Action Partnership, a anti-poverty organization where our winning aspiration is to transform generational poverty into economic prosperity where all can thrive. And we do that in a variety of different ways and uh, providing different services and programs around education and child development. Uh, health and nutrition, safety and empowerment, as well as household stability. Um, so we're one of the largest nonprofits in Lancaster County, um, providing a various uh, programs in those areas. Um, I'm also a city councilor. Uh, started my first term uh, January of 2020, uh, which I'm sure anyone in elected office would tell you that 2020 was an awesome year to get started in public service. Learned a whole lot, but it's been a great learning experience so far. So I'm in my first term as a city councilor. Thanks for that background, Jamie. I really appreciate it. And I know you kind of brought up that 2020 was a good year to join politics. And I think that we need more people to really, truly care because there's such a stigma around it nowadays. And I mean, I think Trump um, really exaggerated it and made it so clear to so many people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting because politics is not something that I saw myself really getting involved involved in. Um at least not any more than, you know, going out to vote for, you know, the president every four years. Uh, but really since 2016, um, you know, and, and even before that, back when I was in college, I, I really looked at politics and civic engagement as a way for my voice to be heard. Um, so, you know, at least the least I could do was always go out and vote and making sure that, um, the person that was in office represented my values. Um, but it was really in 2016 when you kind of get hit with the realization that, um, sometimes it takes a little bit more than that. Um, and you know, while I wasn't planning on running for president anytime soon, uh, I did feel that even on a local level, I can, you know, have a impact, um, so that's when, you know, I started to explore the possibility of running for city council um, in 2019 to start in 2020. Um, and it was with the help of a lot of mentors and, and friends and family with their support to say, you know what, you, your voice would, you know, add a lot of value to this, uh, to this initiative and to our city hall. So um, I was excited to do it. And, you know, it's, it's a great way for me to make sure that you know, our good values are added to our city's agenda, as well as, you know, voices of the unheard are heard during this time. Yeah. And I mean, part of the stakeholder theory is about the people that can also affect you. And it sounds like your mentors and the people that are pushing you to be great are your stakeholders right there. That's really cool that you have those people around you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that purpose and kind of how you're talking about making a difference in your community? Um, and kind of like maybe, your nonprofit work has also seen this purpose play out. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, I wouldn't be here where I am today without mentors and the guidance from the various, you know, we'll, we'll call them stakeholders uh, in my life. You know, I can point out to very pivotal moments in my life where someone came along from, you know, it, it didn't matter what background they were, or what experience they had, but they nudged me in a certain direction that had a positive impl- influence in my life. So, you know, my background is actually uh, in finance and banking. And I got into that, you know, kind of growing up, you know, wanting to to, to make some money, quite honestly. Uh, you know, I came from a lower income background, first in my family to go to college and graduate. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted the American dream as we're, as we're all sold. And, you know, I got into banking and, um, you know, after almost a decade serving in that industry, there was a lot of um, areas where I felt there were gaps, um, gaps where, you know, not my, uh, not my entire community was thriving off of the tools and the skill set that I had developed in this industry. Um, so I wanted to do a little bit more. I wanted to use the skill set that I had developed, the knowledge that I had to add more value to the people that I grew up with, uh, my friends and family that represented my community um, and my neighbors. So uh, I actually left that industry and um, joined uh, the nonprofit sector uh, with a small nonprofit that focused on underrepresented entrepreneurs to help them start and grow businesses with uh, the mindset of people, planet, and profit. Um, So rather than just making money, we're also looking at all stakeholders in the process, um, including uh, the people that we serve, as well as the planet that we drive our resources from. Um, so I spent some time there, uh, and then you know led into my work now uh, with with Community Action Partnership, um, which you know it, it's a more holistic view of helping the family get out of poverty because we all know there's so many different variables for someone or for a family to to struggle uh, that it takes all these different avenues that we have to attack to make sure that um, that we're lifting families out. So so that's that's how I ended there, but it, it heavily influences my work as well as a city councilor because, you know, I'm wearing or I'm seeing uh, a lot of the initiatives, a lot of the legislation that goes through, through this lens of equity, through this lens of, you know, viewing all stakeholders that are going to be affected by this, not just a very few. So our city is super diverse. About 60% are minorities, uh, 40% Five percent around there is is Hispanic alone, Latinx uh, community. Um, so it, it's very diverse, um, and you know I'm I'm excited to help in in looking at a lot of these initiatives through this lens of equity. Absolutely, and I think it's really interesting uh, your story and how you got into it because I had a similar kind of mindset. It's like I wanted to get into marketing because it was such a cool way to make money, and the more I learned about it, the more I realized that I would be selling products for people and companies that weren't really doing anything. I, I, I realized I needed a purpose. It's really cool that you kind of went back and try and are helping your community currently. And, and can you tell us a little bit more, maybe about the difference between? your role as a chief impact officer versus your role as a city a city councilor yeah it's interesting because um both uh you know i i feel the the weight of the responsibility on both you know I, i'll start off with the with the similarities and how i approach both uh jobs in my opinion i uh you know i don't see myself as the person that um 
makes decisions just by myself. Um, I I rely heavily on you know the folks that are on the front lines doing the work. Um, I rely heavily on the folks that are that are um, using our services, our customers. Um, and I in on both sides, that's the taxpayer from the city councilor side. Those are the directors and the staff at City Hall that are implementing you know the the, the work that's happening there. Um, and at Community Action Partnership, those are the frontline staff that are, that are there serving our clients and, you know, the program directors that are implementing uh, the strategy that we're developing. So, um, you know, it's a lot of decisions that that I make. I, I go about it with taking into account what they feel is the best way to move forward um, and then using, you know, the skill set that I have around strategy and, and um, you know, my lived experience to make sure that, you know, we're heading in the right direction. Um, as far as differences, uh, you know, the the difference there is I, I would say on the surface, um, you know, we, we could talk about above above the waterline and below the waterline. So I think above the waterline uh, on the surface, uh, it may seem that the difference is um, as a city councilor, everyone that's a resident is your customer, right? They're all taxpayers. They're all engaged or uh, directly involved in the work that you do and decisions you make are going to affect everyone in the city. Uh, whereas um, on the cap side, you know, there's, you know, it might seem under the water or above the water line, uh, you know, you have a certain segment of the population that is your customer, right? Um, not everyone is going to be affected, but below that water line, I would say they're very similar in, in the sense that uh, even on the cap side, where it's a smaller demographic that might directly be impacting, it actually involves, or it actually involves and impacts everyone uh, that lives in the city because when we can help uh, a certain group, you know, have a better quality quality of life, that indirectly and and sometimes directly helps and impacts the neighbors around them and the community as a whole. Um, so it, for me, while it might on the surface level it might seem like there's some differences, I, I really see them uh, kind of one in the same as th the way I approach the work. And you said something that I kind of want to dive deeper into. You were talking about how you bring in the voices of your frontline workers, the people that implement these strategies. And there's this concept in project management that's called uh, the gap, basically the gap between strategy design and strategy implementation. Have you found that you doing this has shrunk that gap to where what you design as a strategist gets implemented nearly exactly to what you were imagining? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the concept of the gap is interesting because I think without slowing things down intentionally and making sure that we're including various voices at the table, you're going that's where the gap starts to show up. So for me, it's it's been very helpful in creating a strategy that how would I say this? I think so for me, it, it's helpful in developing a strategy that there's buy-in. Right. So it's very easy for folks um, at, you know, at the top of an organization or the leadership of an organization to develop a plan, uh, develop a program that they think people need. 
But that's not always true. Sometimes, you know, we'll develop something and it's like, you know what, this, there wasn't actually a need for this. Your assumptions and your bias told you there was a need for this, uh, but that wasn't actually based on research and data. So the best way to do that is to actually engage the people in the front line and the folks that you're trying to serve to embrace their, their thoughts and, and their opinions on, you know, what is the actual need there? And you'll start to see that your original idea might have to pivot because because uh, what you thought was a need isn't actually the need. So, you know, a good example of that right now is, you know, we're, you know, I, I'm, I had an idea for a program around um, assisting folks with internet right now, um, understanding that, you know, during the pandemic, there is, um, you know, remote work, uh, which is closing off a huge sector of employment for a lot of people, because if they're not able to access internet or have the technology um, or the tech capabilities, they're out of that, you know, out of that job. Um, school, if school's closed and going to remote learning, there is about, um, you know, I, th- I know there's a large segment of folks that aren't able to access internet at home. So students are, are left behind. Um, so we're looking at, you know, how do we uh, assist folks with internet, knowing that that's, you know, a huge part of infrastructure that uh, we have to start considering now, just as, you know, heat and light is important to utilities. Um, but the way that we started realizing that the the need wasn't as was actually different than what than what we thought, um, and you know, without going too much deep into it, we only found out uh, that information because we started engaging the frontline staff and doing sur- and surveying clients um, that had used some other services, and we basically found out like, oh, this is actually taking us in a different direction than what we had thought. Um, so it helps us be better stewards of resources. It helps us implement stronger programs in the long run. Um, and then at the end of the day, it helps us meet the need, uh, which at the end of the day is, is what we're trying to do. Wow. That's actually really powerful that you literally got part of your strategy from the people in the front lines. And therefore that's why it allowed them to buy in even more. Exactly. And, you know, it, it was interesting because even when uh, we were having, you know, these think tank conversations around this subject, uh, they were just as excited to learn more about this. So um, it, gi- it gives program uh, program leaders an opportunity to kind of Put pull their head up from the work, <laughs> and th- and think strategically, and and that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to get uh, our entire organization to think more strategically and less tactically, because uh, you know it's so easy in the day to day work to just kind of check off the tasks, right? Uh, do the transactional things, um, but what we want folks to do is lift their heads up a little bit and think a little bit more strategically. Things that uh, develop initiatives that are going to help us more in the long term and allow us to be more agile as an organization. Um, So because of all the various um, services we offer and, you know, 2020 taught us that, you know, anything can come up, right? And (laughs) completely change the game. Uh, So we want to make sure that at all levels of the organization, folks are able to think strategically and able to pivot and be more agile um, when the need arises. So it's these types of conversations that we had have on a small scale that allows us to put those reps in and and get that practice. And so when something uh, a lot greater happens, we're ready for it. You're absolutely right. 2020 did teach us that anything has happened. I feel like, and I was talking to to my girlfriend about this, feels like this is 
something that our generation hasn't experienced, you know, like the later part of the millennial generation where it's like, we haven't had anything really very crazy difficult happen. Mm -hmm. And and I think that at the beginning of the pandemic, it was such a community building thing. Like I remember talking to people that I haven't talked to in years and people were nice to each other. There wasn't uh, nearly as many conflicts. And um, yeah, you just, uh, you brought me back to to a a year ago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, it's, and I had this conversation with my wife, you know, this is, this is such an interesting time in history because this is for the first time that, you know, most of us can probably remember that every single person in the world is, is, is being affected by this, right. At at some level, Um, some of us way worse than others. And, and that's a reality. And I think what the pandemic has done has kind of pulled back the curtain on a lot of things where we think, you know, we thought things were were well, but when we start to realize that the inequalities around pay, um, internet access, um, you know, something as simple as being able to get your groceries delivered to your door versus someone that, you know, lives in a food desert and, you know, doesn't have access to quality foods. And, you know, so it's done so much for everyone to, I think, make us all open our eyes a little bit more to realize that, wow, there's, there's a lot going on here and and it could be very overwhelming. And I think, you know, a lot of us have felt that part of it as well. So, you know, definitely opportunities for community building that's happened, but there's also been this kind of a wake up call, I think, for, I think specifically our generation that's going to have to put in the work to, to heal from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you yeah, absolutely like generationally, we have to kind of figure out how to fix this. And I, I kind of want to dive into the segmentation of your stakeholders between maybe your primary and your secondary stakeholders. Now that may be a little bit difficult, especially in your role as a city councilor. But I'd love to hear your thought process and you've if you've identified those groups. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think about our primary stakeholder, you know, that's that's the the resident, right? The resident of the city. They're the ones that uh, are um you know, using the services uh, either directly or indirectly. They're the ones that, you know, are paying the bills through through their taxes. They're the ones who live day to day and use, you know, the roads, the the water and, and all that. So, you know, definitely when I think about stakeholders, they're, they're the first ones that come to mind. Those are the first uh, direct ones that we're dealing with. However, there's also, you know, the secondary stakeholder, which is um, sometimes that we don't quite think about because they probably don't you know, maybe they don't live in the city, right? So I think about Lancaster specifically, uh, Lancaster City within Lancaster County is the economic engine of our entire county. Um, So, you know, the city has to do well in order for the county to do well. Um, So when I think about secondary stakeholders, I think about, you know, folks that don't necessarily live in the city, but they might work in the city. Um, They might, you know, grab coffee or dinner on the weekends in the city. They might, you know, travel through the city, but um, just because they don't live here, they they definitely are impacted in some way. Um, And that goes along with businesses uh, in and and around the city as well. as well as uh, um, different organizations such as nonprofits. So um, that's kind of how I've been thinking about the various stakeholders around around as a city councilor. Yeah, and that's actually really interesting that I've never really thought about as tourists as being secondary stakeholders to political members because 
they don't really provide you specifically any economic value. They provide your uh, the people you represent economic value, but that's really interesting. Yeah, and you know it's important for us as you know elected officials to also think about you know that, that's a great example as a, as a tourist. So as you know, while a tourist you know isn't going to directly pay for you know taxes or directly. Um, you know, vote or anything like that, uh, they do directly impact my stakeholders or, you know, the residents there. So it's important for us to think about, you know, how is, how are we creating experience when, when you're, you know, working, living, visiting the city as a tourist to make sure that you're positively impacted. So that way uh, it translates into a good experience for the residents as well. So you know, and and I think with the stakeholder theory, it's like realizing how we're all connected in some way. So you can't just think of one specific stakeholder. It's like, what are the layers here to make sure that everyone in this chain is, is having a positive experience? Man, that, that's that's really cool that uh, you brought that up, Jamie. Uh, I like to ask this question of all of my guests because it's always such an interesting answer that comes out. There's this principle called the separation fallacy, and it's the idea that business decisions can't possibly make for good ethical decisions and vice versa, good ethical decisions can't possibly make for successful business decisions. Do you subscribe to this or have you run into this in your life and how have you dealt with it? Yeah, um, you know, the the best way I can answer this is I'm, I am a person uh, that, you know, I really heavily rely on my values. Um, and I believe organizations, whether it's a nonprofit, a business, a government entity, um, needs to do the same. So I don't think that a business has to make decisions or can't make decisions. Um, how do I say? Uh, a business has to make decisions that are ethical. I think that has to go and come into play when making decisions, even if it means a little bit less profit, even if it means, uh, and that's in the short term, quite honestly, I, I truly believe that a business that continues to make um, ethics a part of their decision-making process will have better better um, success financially, if we're going to call it that, um, in the long term. Um, I think we've seen it with uh, plenty of companies. You know, the first one that comes to mind, just because I got a quote from them, is Patagonia. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it shows that when a company focuses on doing good, they do well. So, I, yeah, it's hard for me to to you know, believe in, I think we've always been taught that, right? Like traditional business, you know, shouldn't think about, you know, morals or or ethics when making decisions is all about what the shareholder wants and, and what's going to impact the bottom line. But that that's such short term thinking. And I think it's it's created some of the chaos and some of the messes that we see in society today. And I think uh, as a society, we have to hold businesses accountable, quite honestly, all organizations accountable to making sure they're just as ethical as they are profitable. Absolutely. I mean, look at the situation we're in right now. Uh, for, for those of you who are listening to this later, we're in the midst of the GameStop fiasco that might bankrupt a bunch of hedge funds. And this is happening because of decisions that were made sort of unethically. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and you know, everyone's playing by the rules, right? And that's, uh, you know, and it's at the end of the day, like, just because you're playing by the set, by a set of rules that were designed, you know, how, you know, however long ago, um, doesn't make it ethical. So that's when, you know, I mentioned values earlier, 
healthier? Like, you know, do you value integrity? And, you know, is, is betting on, you know, quite honestly, is betting on the, the downfall of an organization ethical? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, that's that that's something as a society we have to really start questioning. Like, you know, are are we investing for, uh, for in good businesses or betting on the downfall of of others? You know, that that's that's interesting. Yeah, right. Like the basis of capitalism is that we're creating value, right? Like, and that you bring up a very good point that I was thinking about is that you're not creating value when you're betting on someone to lose. Correct. In, in my opinion. Um, I noticed some people would argue that you are creating value for the shareholders. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, to me, you know, regardless of what uh, economic engine we're using, uh, capitalism, what, whatever it is, it's like, you know, as a society, we have to be, I think, I think really betting on progress. Um, so, you know, while competition is, um, you know, a, a I would say a, a really held held value for for most Americans. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't come at you know your your success shouldn't come at the downfall of someone else, and that that's something we have to reevaluate as a society. I think it is something that brings into con, into into question. You know, is this how we is this how we're okay with with operating? You know, so a little bit more philosophical, I think, but <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that we need to get philosophical about it, uh, at least a little bit. And uh, uh, Jamie, I want to thank you very much for being a guest today. Um, you have brought up some really good and interesting ideas. And do you have any final thoughts before we sign off? Oh, no, thanks for having me. You know, that was a great conversation. And, you know, uh, always excited to have a conversation around these types of items. And, you know, the the work I do, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about it. You know, as, as a final thought, you know, I would encourage anyone that's listening to, to get engaged. Um, you know, city council was uh, a step for me to get more involved in, you know, policy and, you know, decisions that are being made throughout my own city. Uh, but there's various different ways that you can get involved, whether it's through committees, boards or authorities within your city, volunteering for organizations, um, you know, or at the very least, get registered and vote, you know, at the very least. Um, so, you know, I highly encourage anyone that uh, that hasn't yet to get more involved um, and, you know, make sure that you're helping influence these decisions because if you're not, someone else is. Absolutely. I want to reaffirm that message to get engaged because it is a powerful one. And Jamie, thank you again. And I'll see the rest of my listeners in the next episode.